0: Before we get started with this episode of The Crown, the official podcast, please note that we have recorded this podcast series over the past year, alongside the production of Season 5 of The Crown. So, some of what you will hear was recorded before the passing of Her Majesty the Queen and the accession of His Majesty King Charles III.
1: And how does one describe being Prince of Wales? It's hardly a job, still less a, a vocation. It's simply a predicament. <laughs> the previous Princes of Wales have been happy to misspent their lives in idle dissipation, but my problem is I can't bear idleness or dissipation. Every day I meet People from all walks of life, ministers, scientists, entrepreneurs, men and women my age, who've gone out into the world and made their mark. As precisely the thing that I'm not allowed to do.
0: Welcome to The Crown, the official podcast. I'm Edith Bowman and this is the podcast that follows the fifth season of the Netflix series The Crown, episode by episode, taking you behind the scenes, speaking with many of the talented people involved and diving deep into the stories. Today we'll be delving into episode five of season five, titled The Way Ahead. In the wake of Annas Horribilis, the palace forms the Way Ahead Group to ensure the royal family's position in the future. Prince Charles hopes this will be an opportunity to forward his own agenda and make radical changes to the monarchy. But his hopes are dashed as a recording of a private phone conversation with Camilla creates humiliating headlines around the world. But will this crush him or will this steal his resolve to propel himself forward ever closer to the crown? We'll cover specific events and scenes that feature in this episode. So if you haven't watched episode five yet, I'd suggest you do it now or very soon. Coming up later, we'll meet this season's Prince Charles, Dominic West.
1: You see everything in him in that break, because yeah. he's excruciatingly <laughs> embarrassed. He's a very private man in a, another moment of public humiliation. But he sort of goes for it.
0: We'll also hear from director of this episode,
2: Mai El Tuki, on bringing the infamous Camilla Gate phone call to our screens. It's sincere and intimate and truthful. That's been my ambition all along and it means a lot. It means a lot to me that that I got to do that because it's about time. And we'll ask Annie
0: Salzberger how the phone call was intercepted.
3: It's likely that if Charles had just spoken on a landline None of this would have happened.
0: But before all that, I wanted to ask crown writer and creator Peter Morgan how he approaches writing his version of Prince Charles, particularly in his most controversial years.
4: There's so much written about this family. And on the one hand, it's hard to do them justice and be complex enough and rounded enough because we tend not to want to treat them in that way. We tend to either want to treat them as sort of sacred objects that you bow, scrape and curtsy and walk backwards and talk gibberish in front of, or people that we just destroy with cartoons or satire or bitchiness. Or... And so actually reasonable debate is sometimes quite hard and, and reasonable guess or conjecture about who they are as human beings.
0: And reasonable opportunity for an audience to not... You've always done this where you don't judge them. You know, you kind of, it's, it's never about a good guy, bad guy. It's always about the... You yeah, give
4: them a fair hearing. Yeah. Give them all a fair hearing. Because actually that way, you know, you know, Charles, for example, I got a lot of stick for the way I write Charles from people close to him. But I, you know, I see him as someone who is unquestionably all the things that his closest friends might suggest that he is. You know, unbelievably committed, complex intelligent he's a brilliant character to write because i think he's all the things that his detractors say and he's all the things that his defenders say Mm. i think that's wonderful i think that makes him a a much richer human being and a much more complex i mean the episode i'm probably most proud of in this season is number five which is the one about being prince of wales because spending a whole hour watching a film about what the predicament is of being the prince of wales And really giving it a fair hearing where you really line up all the, you know, all the accusations that can be raised or levelled against him and then all the achievements. And you just sort of balance it out. And I I found myself feeling very, very sympathetic towards him as a consequence and compassionate, really, Mm. because it's not an easy gig.
3: That was a different Charles today. Separation from Diana has liberated him energised him. And what if being informed and in touch is what people want from their sovereign?
5: Having controversial opinions and agitating politically is not what people want from their sovereign.
3: I just think while we're setting up committees or task forces hoping to find ways forward, it might be useful to acknowledge That the solution we are looking for could be right under our noses.
0: This episode really is all about Charles. So, of course, we have to get to know this season's Prince of Wales, Dominic West. I met up with him on set at Elstree Studios just after filming finished in spring 2022. I feel like I should greet your highness. Um, congratulations. If on- you wouldn't mind. Okay. I can't see right now, but if I could, I would. I tell um, you,
1: the, the first thing you notice about playing this part is how great it is when people bow to you. <laughs> I mean, no wonder Prince Charles insists on it. It's just fantastic. It really brightens your day.
0: It's going to be on your rider from now on in life. Must be. <laughs> curtsy or bow in front of me and um, congratulations on this part what was the appeal for you about taking on the role of charles
1: the bows and the curtsies <laughs> the cars <laughs> the clothes the tweed and, and the houses <laughs> <laughs> well I, I suppose what appealed was well two things one was obviously the show which i've loved from season one and then playing playing charles who i really like i i, I do think him as a as a genuine sort of hero, or at least a force for good. And it's not often that I get to play good people. I (laughs) I generally play villains.
2: And what
0: were the conversations with, with Peter with regards to, you know, having that meeting with him and talking about agreeing to take on this part and where Charles was, the journey that he was going on in this particular season?
1: We chatted a lot because it took me a while. I'm sure it does a lot of people, but it took me a long time to get over the fact that I don't look anything like him or sound anything like him or or, uh, i'm not really anything like prince charles as as my wife keeps saying i'm too fat and old but uh, (laughs) um, how rude (laughs) i know Uh, but peter and i did talk a lot about aspects of the marriage he was in that was failing and things like was he a good father to his sons Mm. and things like that which i was keen that we saw the whole picture yeah because the whole picture hasn't really been, it's not something you see in, in the media. And certainly at this time, they didn't really like Charles and they, they rather assumed he was an aloof and distant father. And I'd, I'd heard from people that he wasn't. And in fact, what's interesting about taking this part is that suddenly you, you talk to everyone about Prince Charles and a lot of, he's met more people probably than, except for Princess Anne and the Queen, he's, he's met more people probably than any, certainly more than any politician. That's what's amazing about his role. Uh, and so you meet a lot of people who've met him, and every single one spoke about how warm he was and how you know seriously he took his role and yeah. and, and his causes that he champions. It's much harder for a, a dramatist not to have a villain, yeah, not have a not to have clear villain, yeah. yeah, someone you can sort of put the blame on yeah. and, and demonize. But it's much more interesting when you see. You know, everyone has villainous aspects as well as heroic aspects. Yeah. And that's where Peter's always gone. And and I think in collaboration with his actors and, and everyone else who works on, on the show, but he's interested in not making judgments in, mm. in, in seeing what is that like for an ordinary human being.
0: And um, you mentioned Josh. I mean, Josh was fantastic in the last two seasons. He was as, all right. The quite, but... <laughs> I don't know why everyone makes such a fuss about it. <laughs> But we're, right. we're, we're at a different Charles. We're at a different point in his life. We're in a different place. And and it's interesting because we really feel that, I really feel that through your performance in terms of you kind of feel the weight. You feel the baggage and you feel the kind of, he's trying to break through. He's trying to find his path, find his voice. And you kind of feel the drive there in your performance. That's what I kind of really get from that.
1: What's interesting about this time, of his life is that he's, he's at the sort of prime of his life. He's in his late 40s and he's, this is really when he should be king. Uh, mm. He's still got energy, he's still got youth, he's still got vision and, and vigor. So he's at the prime of his life, but he's also at the nadir emotionally of his life. His, his marriage has fallen apart and his relationship with his mother is, you know, incredibly complicated. And for a man of middle age to still be totally reliant on your mother and even worse, on your mother's death, to be something to be something that is going the, the, the only time that you're going to fulfil your destiny. It's it's a bizarre situation yeah. to be in.
0: Where did your journey to find your version of Charles start?
1: I went to Cornwall. Actually, I somewhere to go. A <laughs> um, <laughs> Lovely part of the he's, world. <laughs> <laughs> he's Duke of Cornwall, and uh, he's um, owns a large part of it, and. Uh, it was just after, I think lockdown was, we we're just coming out of lockdown, so Cornwall wasn't overrun with people, which is another <laughs> good thing. Uh, and I rang up, he has an estate down there or he rescued this house down there where you can rent a cottage or rent, rent several cottages. Incredibly beautiful place near Lost Withial. I've got five kids, I need to, I need to get away <laughs> to concentrate. And so I went down there for a week. It's very difficult, it's the thing about the crown except for diana actually she who did these personal interviews on tape it's very hard to to hear any of the royals certainly charles uh, in private they mm-hmm. don't talk in private obviously we know their public persona but we don't know their private and so all i really had to go on was this he he narrates his book called harmony so so you get 9 hours of him i got 9 hours of him <laughs> narrating his book mm. which is all done in his public persona but he gets tired narrating it as as I've narrated books and it gets tiring <laughs> yeah. and when he gets tired it then became much more the sort of public persona fell away and you could you could hear his sort of tones of his of what he might be mm. in private
0: the crown has this amazing support network of you know these I mean we're sat here in Diana's
1: Kensington Palace Kensington
0: Palace in her drawing room I believe yes it's kind of bonkers to kind of focus on our chat because there's so much going on in this room. But we have this, we have the makeup department, we have the costume, we have the research department. How important were all those different areas for you in your portrayal of Charles?
1: Well, I suppose the first excitement was the research department because... I, I'm really interested in, in Charles's life and I, I really, uh, and the royals, I'm, I, I always have been. It's fascinating. And so yeah. I re- immediately got onto the research department and said, come on, what's the what's the news? Send me stuff. What's the stuff? And uh, they did have some quite interesting stuff, I have to say, but I don't think they're allowed to publish a lot of it. But uh, not only have you got a great dramatist in Peter, but a great dramatist with an, a huge backup in terms of his research. So, you know, this is obviously a fiction, but it's not that fictional. So that was the first really interesting thing. Then, then I talked to Polly, who's who does movement, and William, who does the who does the voice. They'd certainly done Josh. I I, I knew I was in good hands. <laughs> I wasn't sure they were in <laughs> they were in good hands with me, but. Uh, I did watch avidly whatever whenever Josh said had any tips about playing Prince Charles. I go, you know, and, he, and they had great tips, you know, ears and, and closing your mouth when you speak. And, it's and
4: uncanny.
1: <laughs> I remember Kate, who's head of hair and makeup, saying to me, "Look, when Prince Charles has such a distinctive hairstyle mm-hmm. created by his nanny when he was three, <laughs> that uh, and unchanged since then, that once people see that, they will." By you they'll accept you mm. as him and uh I didn't believe her at the time but I it was it was encouraging and as long as I'm shot from the back I look just like Prince Charles because <laughs> <laughs> of the hair
0: did she have the measuring tape out for the parting?
1: pretty yes I think yeah. it's pretty much <laughs> and we put plumbers in for the ears we did put the, you, you know, we put these little I don't know if they work but they they certainly hurt but they uh yeah we sort of try and <laughs> point the ears out of bit
0: With this particular episode, we have this um, flashback to uh, to nineteen eighty nine to the telephone call, which is really it's it's it, you know the dramatization of this, but the way it's been shot and the way it's been edited and stuff is, is really wonderful. We're in a state now with this show where we're in we're in our own memories now. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in events that. You know, it's dramatisation, but obviously there are events that happened that are within the show that, for some of us, we remember. Mm -hmm. We remember it happening. Do you remember Camilla Gate and the...
1: Tampax Gate? Yeah. Very much. Yeah, no, I remember it really well. And probably much like everyone else, as, as being a rather tawdry, deeply embarrassing, sleazy thing. And we had, on set, we had the tabloid papers at, at that time. And, and every single one of them published a tote transcript of the whole thing. Mm. What was really extraordinary was, because a few people have asked me, you know, you're not going to do tampon gate, are you? And you know, the, the, the Italians still call Prince Charles Principe Tamponici, little tampon prince. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. It's he, like
0: 30 years later. I know.
1: And this wow. is what he's known for. What became apparent in the playing of it and the way Peter's written it, although Peter pretty much just transcribed what was said, you suddenly saw it from their point of view as this middle-aged couple deeply in love having the whole world listen to an intimate phone conversation. I mean, just imagine what that's like, just how violating that is. Yeah. And how any one of us who've had any intimate conversation transcribed into the mirror newspaper, it would just be utterly soul destroying it would destroy you what we found really in the playing was the warmth and the tenderness and how how that was a a real violation of that yeah and how awful that must have felt i mean camilla (laughs) camilla When you see it, Camilla's sort of saying saucy things about her knickers and stuff, and he yeah. keeps sort of saying really not very saucy <laughs> things. About it's very
0: this, childlike.
1: Sort of, God, i end up as a Tampex or something. You go, oh, God, <laughs> no, please, Charles. So, but what it, but that, it's sort of sweet. It's quite hard and awkward. <laughs> and <you know.
0: laughs> But what it says, what it gives us is such an insight into the history and the comfortableness of these two individuals. Yeah. And this is a relationship that has been going on for years you know there's his true love and it's a conversation that he would never have had that kind of conversation with Diana no and so you it it, it tells you so much about their relationship and the history of their relationship
1: I think it's it's genuine intimacy Mm. that's used against him
0: yeah and it's and and I think it's such a clever way to tell that in, as a juxtaposition to what's going on with him and, and Diana, you know, and how kind of cold that relationship has become and how distant they are. and
1: He does that a lot, Peter, this season, I think, is, is you juxtapose, you know, the tragedy of their failed marriage between these two people who would, should never have married, really. And, and, then, and then his genuine feelings for, for someone he does love. Mm. I mean, it's not like he's, like a lot of people in public life, you know, nobody loves them. He 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 genuinely has a, a real fairy tale romance. It's just not the fairy tale romance that, that's been confected for public consumption. I wish you'd answer the phone. I never know what to say.
2: We're alone now. I'm in the bedroom. In bed? On top of it.
1: Lucky old bed. Are
0: you still in Tesha?
1: I am, Missing you terribly.
0: Back soon, then, my darling.
1: So with Olivia, we... Who I'd met before, but not really. She's wonderfully warm and and funny.
0: Ah, the brilliant Olivia Williams, who plays Camilla this season.
1: Yes. She had to wear two bras because Camilla's got a a good bust like all the royal women actually. So one bra filled with bean bags and she'd come in every morning and go go on give them a squeeze and that was sort of that was sort of the icebreaker. That's
0: what Charles I imagined them doing in real life. I probably shouldn't say that but I do.
1: What what was staggering in in research was how much vitriol Camilla got. How I mean she, and still gets but she she really had a hard time at this time. People hated her through buns at her in Waitrose and you know worst things who deserves that nobody deserves the sort of vitriol she got yeah and uh what that does to you and um i think you can only really feel sympathy when you look into that and Mm. and so it helped that we both had we both felt enormous sympathy for our characters i think what do you think
0: i think it's brilliant i mean you go further our language is like an endangered species it needs to be protected a scandal the way we're letting it be
1: slaughtered. I quite agree. I read to my private secretary so I might have gone
2: too far. I suppose it might be better to leave the audience wanting more.
1: Yes. I suppose one has to be aware of it in the room. Just feel one's way along with it. If you, if you know what I mean. Mm. You're awfully good at feeling your way along. Stop <laughs> it.
0: We'll hear more from Dominic West later in the podcast. But before that, I wanted to find out more about re-examining that infamous phone call in this episode. So first, it's over to Annie Salzberger for our new feature to answer the big question. How did the conversation get recorded? And did Charles and Camilla really say that?
3: Yes, they did. And it's likely that if Charles had just spoken on a landline, none of this would have happened. This is back in the early days, it's 1989, very early days of mobile phones. And they were very easy to hack. You could hear them on any ham radio. There are people out in the world whose hobby it is, is to turn a dial and listen for conversations over the airwaves, essentially. We know very little about this guy because he's never come out and said it. But we know he's from Liverpool and that after eating a curry and having a pint... He went to his, like, sort of house shed and turned on this new device that he had just bought, which is called an electronic homing device. It's a ham radio. Picks up cell signals. Charles was in Chester. is was really close to a cell tower. So it was very easy to pick up the conversation. And what starts is, as we show, he's reading a speech. And as the speech goes on, he recognizes the voice, this ham operator. And he goes, oh, my God, it's Prince Charles. So he hits record. And the speech becomes the longing slightly sexual conversation that we know it to be. The newspapers chose to sort of cut away a lot of things and just focus on, oh, my God, I can't believe he said he wants to be a tampon. But the mention of a tampon, which is the most famous section of that speech, is so different when you hear the whole context. I'm actually very proud of us for sticking to our guns and putting this in the show because we're actually trying to rehabilitate that moment, which is that comes after very loving, longing conversation where they start to joke it's just a funny moment between two very in love people who are missing each other and that context, when you read it the whole thing, and we do a lot of it it just becomes an incredibly different tone to that section
0: Now let's hear from director of this episode Mai El on reframing this controversial royal moment with kia on screen how did you want to portray this and how did you, what did you feel was the important nature of portraying this part of this love affair and love affair at a certain age? And this was something that was important to you in terms of how you wanted to portray this story in this moment with Charles and Camilla and, and what happened with that? Mm. So talk about the viewpoint of this episode, I guess.
2: Yeah, so part of episode five contains a conversation between, the conversation between Charles and and Camilla that apparently was in 1989 and got published in 93. So I think for me, reading that transcript and reading the research material on on that conversation, I became incredibly indignated, actually. And I found that it was it's so unjust in a way that it's not okay to publish stuff like that. And I know that we were looking through a 2022 glasses or like a gaze of the now and a lot has changed since then. But what I wanted to do or my Ambition with that storyline was to basically recreate the narrative of it. I think a lot of people, even though they have not heard the tape or they have not listened or they have not read the transcript, they think it's something else than what it actually is. When I dived into the material, for me, it's a conversation between two people who are in love and know each other really well, and they're very smart and witty, and they have their own language together. And I don't find that it's very far away from conversations I potentially could have myself or people I know could have. Yeah. And of course, I stand on the shoulders of the text, fantastic text that Peter wrote. But it was something that there's so many ways that you could shoot a sequence like that. And we opted to shoot it in a way where it's sincere and intimate and truthful that's been my ambition all along and it means a lot it means a lot to me that that I got to do that because it's about time We would strive generally on the show when we have phone calls to have if we're shooting um, many weeks apart. So if we're shooting Olivia in week one and Dominic in week eight, then wow. to have the other person present either in a room next door or on the phone yeah. so that we get that sense of authenticity because there's so much going on on a film set and it's so hard to mirror intimacy in a situation that is everything but intimate. That's something that I also spoke to um, the cinematographer about, how to create that that intimacy and how it's also by far, I think, the closest close-ups of this season. Be gone to sleep.
1: Now I'm
0: here. You ring
2: me when you wake up
0: My night, my darling I do love you Love me too
1: Don't want to say goodbye
4: Neither
3: do I But you must get some sleep
1: Bye, darling Bye Bye Press the button Going to press the tit oh
2: darling i wish you were pressing mine god
1: so do i harder and harder oh darling
0: There's a real clear difference, I think, as well, particularly in this episode between, visually, between Charles's world and the world of Elizabeth and her courtiers, because she's been in this bubble for so long of kind of how things have to be. Even her world is like that, I think, whereas Charles yeah. is, I don't know, it just feels more human and real and warm.
2: yeah. So they want the same thing. They want to preserve the crown basically. But how to preserve the crown? Uh, I think Charles he he in this episode he strives to he thinks it's important to to modernize, to create a sense that there's room for everyone, multiple fates, people regardless of class and so on and so forth. And Elizabeth wants to preserve the crown as well, but she believes that it's preserving the crown is the way to go is to keep things as they are in order to mm-hmm. bring stability and comfort in times of distress so that the crown is an object that is inanimate, never changeable, and that there's a comfort in that for, for a nation. And so it's, the, it's those two views that are bumping up against each other in the episode. And it's, a, it's an interesting, I find that it's an interesting conflict because both are true. Maybe, you know, uh, and so that's where it gets interesting in, in fiction and in drama. That's where the drama is, I believe, that when mm. both sides talk truthfully and has, has a point, um, that's an interesting place to be as a storyteller. And that's what we do in this episode, among other things.
1: You've been very forthright in your response, very honest. Is it your hope that this issue will now go away? Well, I'd certainly prefer it. And the difficulty stems, I think, from when. when we in the monarchy set ourselves up as a, a sort of ideal, as husbands or as wives, or as, as parents. And very often the truth is very far from that. The question people have to ask themselves is what do they want in their leaders? Do they want someone who errs but who learns from their mistakes, who grows, who who recognizes the need for change, who has a vision? Or someone who is content to continue making the same mistakes and to keep things as they are? Really, I think that's the clear choice that, uh, that people are faced with.
0: It was interesting you're talking about kind of, you know, Charles kind of feels like change is needed. And one of the things, the decision that he makes is to do the Dimbleby interview. Yes. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, recreating that and how you chose to do
2: that as well. Yeah. So the Dimbleby interview was actually shot over 18 months, I think, around 18 months. And they had a uh, hundred and, 80 hours of of footage. And so um, it was a program that, yeah, so it was a long program. And in our version, it's a segment of the full Dimple Bee program. And we introduced um, Beta SP, which is like the old format that you shot TV in the 90s. And that gave a real flavor. So many, many of the scenes, both in, in episode four and five, where we are recreating and rethinking or reimagining historical actual events. We would have a beta yeah. camera there, which is the small where you hmm. can, you know, if it, if people are too far away, they just look like dots uh, with no faces yeah. <laughs> and, and then a real camera. That was the same thing with the Dimbleby interview. It's an incredibly long stretch of text. I think it was... 8 pages long of dialogue and that's a long time and and we just Dominic and I discussed the when you're doing scenes like that I find it very useful to have a conversation with the actors about what gives them the best ability or the best possibility of delivering whatever it is that we want them to yeah and so we decided to do many many long stretches so it was like 10 or 12 minutes takes and then eventually we could chop up stuff if there was something that we wanted to to investigate further or something else we needed or and then obviously we both watched the interview and tried to recreate some of the mannerisms and ways of Charles but that having said that i think it's very important that and that's also something that i spoke a lot with with Dominic and maybe because we were both New in class together, but that it there's a fine line between being, making an impersonation and making an interpretation. Yeah. And so how to find yeah. that. And so that's, it's hard to talk about sitting around a desk or across each other on a desk. It's something you just have to investigate while you're shooting and while you're doing the scenes when is it too much and when is it too little and when does it become and the fantastic thing is that on this show that we have the most amazing specialists in every department so we have voice coaches and movement coaches and etiquette coaches and yeah so you never feel lonely Let's go
0: back to Dominic West to hear more about portraying Charles in this episode. In The Way Ahead, we see Charles wrestling with his relationship and his role as Prince of Wales, both of which are complex and tangled up together. He's determined to make changes to the royal system and secure his future kingship, as well as his own happiness. But despite hoping that The Way Ahead group would offer a chance for greater influence... The Camilla Gate scandal and his strained relationship with his parents catches up with him. There's a heartbreaking scene where they're at a meeting and Philip really lays into Charles. Dominic, what was that like to film?
1: I mean, that was pretty much the only scene I get with Jonathan as Prince Philip, and, and it was annihilating. I mean, it was... He really gets a strip torn off him. And he's talking about the very core of his ambition... for for, and what he believes has to happen to the monarchy if these changes aren't made then when you die mum they're not going to want me they're not going to want the monarchy Mm. we have to do this now and for that to be stamped out so comprehensively by his father to the point where he's humiliated enough to have to leave the room uh, in front of all these courtiers Mm. and the rest of his family that was a very very affecting scene I, I couldn't talk to jonathan for days afterwards <laughs> no i mean he, he was brilliant and what was interesting was just before you know it was at prince philip's actual funeral to see how moved charles was and how much he loved his dad you know another fascinating tension between your love of your parent and your frustration with your parents
5: if I weren't so ashamed, I might confess of admiration of the sheer scale of your achievement. In one fell swoop, you've succeeded in alienating the church over your moral fitness, the politicians over your conduct unbecoming. The House of Commons is in uproar. They're saying we've pressed the self-destruct button. Among your many entirely unjustified military honours, is Colonel in Chief of the Royal Regiment of Wales. I wonder if you might remind us of their motto.
1: In English. Better death than dishonor. What's oh, that? Speak Better up. Better death than dishonor.
5: A sentiment on which you would do well to reflect.
0: Despite his struggles in the family, something that shines through is the sibling support between Prince Charles and Princess Anne. Dominic, I just love the relationship between Charles and Anne.
1: Yeah, it's great.
0: But it feels real and it feels it does feel affectionate real, yeah. and it feels loving. Yeah. Which is one of the few, I think.
1: Yeah. She's sort of the only person who, who understands his position. And love I, Anne. Yeah, I mean, she's an Olympic champion. You know, she's tough. And hugely uh, committed and you know have you seen her on Parkinson's there's an interview on Parkinson and mm. her talking about when she nearly got shot? Well, I told him to get the hell off me or whatever you know you're going she <laughs> she's hard because she's badass. <laughs> yeah.
0: For years, I've doubted Charles.
3: He wasn't strong enough. Tough enough. But look what he's just come through.
0: First that phone recording, subsequent humiliation. Then that interview and subsequent criticism. And it hasn't broken him. The opposite. He might be as mad as everyone thinks,
3: but he's not as weak as everyone thinks. The Charles I saw today was strong. Confident.
0: Mature. Not only does he have what it takes for the job, in some ways he's already begun. I feel there's a real confidence that Charles has in this particular episode. He's found this confidence from somewhere. He's kind of determined. He's, you know, he wants to make a difference, even though he's kind of in the you know, he's in the wings waiting. He's gonna stand up for the woman he loves, he's gonna stand up for his position, what he can do. Where do you think he found in Peter's writing, where do you think he found that confidence sir?
1: I suppose that's a big part of the Camilla story is is that she gave him the the support that he needed that he wasn't getting from his wife or his mother. It's quite a tragic life, Charles. And in w- one of the tragedies that I think is that th- at this point, this is when he should have been king. You know, he must have been thinking, I- "I've got to set up a, a separate court here. I've got to advance my agenda because I'm not going to be king anytime soon." And while I've got the energy, I've got to I've got to try and do something about. Mm what needs to happen, because I think he cares very deeply about the, how is the monarchy relevant? Or why do we have a monarchy? What's the point of it? Where can the monarchy help that nothing else can? And and I think there are arguments both ways on that. And and I think he very much felt, and, and it's true, that he, he could give voice to people that politicians couldn't. And that he... Talk has talked to more people and met more people than any politician ever would.
0: And I love how a lot of those people that he met was through Prince's Trust, and I love that it's included in the show.
1: It, what makes him a hero? I think, I think the Prince's Trust is the most amazing organisation. It's been a force for good in this country. It's a real achievement, and it's helping exactly the people he should be helping as future king, disadvantaged young people, and it's helped so many people. I've met a lot of them. Quite hard to dramatize a good person doing good works. It's not very interesting. Um, it's much more easy to, to dramatize a bad person doing bad things.
0: One of the things that I absolutely love about the Prince's Trust part of the episode at the end is that, well, we also see Charles going for it and break down some of the young people, which recreated a real moment. It's such a hilarious light moment at the end i love it
1: you see everything in him in that break because yeah. he's it's excruciatingly <laughs> embarrassed he's a very private man in a you know a, another moment of public humiliation but he sort of goes for it because he's he's sort of he's sort of like that he's sort of you know has he's very much accepts a challenge and <laughs> goes for it and Fails spectacularly, but you can't help loving him.
0: <laughs> How do you play that? Because you're playing it as him, you're not playing it as you. So you've got to find his...
1: Well, I, I copied the moves. Yes, <laughs> it's he on tape. Mo- it's on tape, it's on YouTube. <laughs> and you can't believe the moves he pulls. And they're totally nothing to do with the music. <laughs> so I just learned the moves. And they're quite hard. It took me, a, you know, it took me several sessions to get the moves because they're difficult.
0: Again, it's another way of telling us, without dialogue sometimes, it tells us so much about the character.
1: Yeah. There's so much conflict and so much tension between the public perception and, and the private reality, and he's very much battling with with an image as a sort of out-of-touch, weird fuddy-duddy, when in reality he was spending every day meeting people and listening to their problems and...
0: It must be in the back of all of your minds, though, in a way, because we kind of know the tragedy that unfolds, you know, as we get to that point where, where Diana passes. Or you try and not think about it.
1: I suppose it's just obvious, isn't it, now you mention it, but I, I don't think it came into yeah. it, really. It wasn't really something you could anticipate. and In fact, it did. In, in one way, I, I think I had to keep reminding myself that at this point, well, certainly before they were publicly separated... There was no hope for him. He was in a marriage that was dead to a woman who couldn't stick him and he couldn't stick her and he was not going to be allowed to divorce and he was not going to be able to be with the woman he loved and what that must do to you. He was at a very low point in this mm. and his subsequent happiness now, you have to sort of put, yeah. put to the back of your mind. Now, you may think that someone of my age and background wouldn't understand young people in your communities and the unfair judgment of society that you sometimes face. Well, as it happens, I do understand a little bit about what it is to be criticized and judged. And I also know that those judgments are mostly not true. (laughs) That people out there have no idea who I really am. I'm sure that each of you has something within you, an unacknowledged greatness, a talent that deserves to be recognized.
0: I'm Edith Bowman, and my special thanks to our guests on this episode, Peter Morgan, Annie Salzberger, Miles Tookie, and Dominic West. The Crown, the official podcast, is produced by Netflix and something else in association with Left Bank Pictures. Join us next time when we go behind the scenes of episode six of season five, called "Epatiev House. As communism falls in Russia, the Queen hopes to resolve a tragic chapter in royal history for her ancestors as well as Prince Philip's. But with a growing distance in their marriage, is a shared goal and a historic trip to Russia enough to bring she and Philip together?
5: After 47 years of marriage, we might ask ourselves, how are we still alike? We've got different interests, different passions, different churches. I'm more energetic.
3: More restless.
5: More curious. Your desire for calm, for stability, for silence, not to question, not to probe, not to provoke, interrogate, has sometimes left me... What? Lonely.
0: Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts.